right, Docs of Church. Guys, it is, uh, it's great to be together today, even if it is virtually. Guys, uh, it's awesome to think about our, our church family just kind of gathered together all around this city in, in the midst of our time, but it's just a, it's an awesome thing that we can gather like this right now. And so if you're new and kind of tuning in uh, for your first time, my name is Rob. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here at Doxa. It's great to have you here with us today. But guys, grab your Bible. All right, open up to Acts chapter 28. All right, today we find ourselves basically at the end of our study of Acts, that we've been taking this journey. It's been a, it's been a long, but like a, a really great journey through this, this book. We're in Acts chapter 28 today, so 28 chapters we've, we've walked through. And it's been a while, but guys, it, one of the things that I've been so encouraged by is this, is that as we've been kind of journeying and, and making our way through this book, I, I've seen our, our church family being shaped by the words Guys, that we, that we get in this book, like words from God. And quite honestly, this is one of the reasons why I, I love our church family so much, that we're not just like a, a religious group of people kind of going through the motions, like playing church, but we're, we're just a people, like a family who are growing in our, our love for God, who are seeking to follow after him in like the everyday stuff of our lives. And as we hear from God through his words, we're, we're beginning to be a people that start to respond to him. And as we do this, we're, we're becoming the people, the men and women, the church that, that God has created us to be for his glory and the good of the world around us. And, and I, one of the things that I absolutely love is that we're becoming more and more like Jesus. And as we continue to do this, guys, we're, we're, our lives are saying more and more the right things about God. And so I'm excited to kind of put a bow on this study today, but before we do that, I wanted to give you a heads up uh, just a, a few things that we have coming up in the life of Doxa that I'm really looking forward to. I'm honestly just like eager to see what God's going to do through these things, like to help us continue to grow who he's created us to be. But, but two things, okay? Number one, okay, as we wrap up Acts today, next week we're going to jump into a 12-week study of the book of James. All right? and, and James is just this, this short but just really powerful book that's really all about faith in action. And, and here's why I think it's gonna be such a, a great next step as we come out of our study in Acts. Because in Acts, you know, we've been watching how the gospel has advanced and, and spread to the ends of the earth, that the gospel has gone wide. The book of James is gonna show us how the gospel actually doesn't just go wide, but it goes deep. Deep into our hearts, deep into our minds, deep into our, our lives, changing everything about us specifically the way that we live and the way that we love. And so here's what you can do as we get ready to do this next week is I just wanna encourage you to start reading. Start reading the, the book of James and start praying through it. And, and I'd even say, okay, five chapters in the book of James. So maybe your goal would be to just read the book of James every single week as we journey through this together. That wouldn't be that hard to do, but I think it'd be extremely formational for our church. So you can start reading James as we get into chapter one next week. The second thing is we've been announcing this, this class that we're starting on June 7th called Discipleship 101. And really this class is gonna be an awesome opportunity for, for our church to, to really wrestle with and, and solidify what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Like what does it look like to really follow Jesus? This is what discipleship is all about. So in this class time, we're gonna be 
kind of learning and, and practicing some of the ways and the rhythms that we see Jesus have part of his life throughout the gospel. And so what this means is that if you've been a Christian for like a really long time, you've been walking with Jesus for a really long time, this class is gonna help you. But even if you're kind of like still like new to the faith or kind of like dabbling and trying to figure out like who Jesus is, guys, this class is gonna be formational for, for everybody. So you can go to doxamadison.com and reserve your seat for this class that's gonna start on June 7th, okay? So with that being said, Acts chapter 28, all right? And I wanna end this, this series today with a reminder of how we started this series nine months ago. And if you remember, you know, we, we began this study, we, we started with this understanding that the book of Acts is just a historical look at what happened in the life of the early church as Jesus died, resurrected, and then ascended into heaven. And Acts is really just a, a chronicle of the spreading flame that is the gospel of Jesus. That Acts is just a, a book that has shown us all about Jesus's mission in our world today and how we fit into it. And this is really the question that we've been wrestling with as a church. Like how do we fit into Jesus's mission? Like specifically, what would it look like for us at Doxa to truly lean in and be a part of Jesus's mission in our world today, even here in Madison? And I wanna remind you of how we've been studying this mission and how we're gonna conclude our study today that we approach this as nine months ago, we, we started off this study of this historical book of Acts, studying as, as soldiers, not scholars. All right, you remember when we talked about this? And this is really the, the posture that we have today as we get into the wrapping up this book, that scholars and soldiers, they, they tend to be the ones that, that study history the most. And while scholars want to kind of look back at history and see what people have done, soldiers want to see what still remains to be done. See, those who are scholars study history for the sake of information, but those who are soldiers study history for the sake of mission. And guys, as we conclude our study of Jesus's mission here in Acts today, we're not just looking at what God did through a bunch of people hundreds of years ago, but instead we're looking at what God still wants to do today through us, even here at Doxa Church in Madison, Wisconsin. Because guys, the truth is, is that today we are invited into the most important, the most significant mission in the history of the world. And just as a soldier marches forward so that people may have life, because we here at Doxa, we march forward as the family of God so that people may meet the man Jesus and receive eternal life. Guys, this is our, our posture, this is our perspective, and this is our purpose. And this is the same that we're gonna approach Acts 28 today. All right, so we pick up in verse 17 where we left off last week. Paul is under arrest, all right? He's, he's arrived in Rome after just a, a hard, arduous sailing journey. And here's what happens, verse 17. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because of the Jews' objection, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. 
But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect that we know everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So what we see here, guys, is, is Paul is acting out of the principle that he gives in, in Romans 1.16 that says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And even in the great Gentile capital of the world, Rome, Paul addresses himself to the Jews first. And so only three days after this, this sailing journey, all right, and we looked at this, he had a shipwreck, he got bit by a viper, right? Just like this crazy thing, he takes three days off. I mean, most of us would take like a month or two. He takes three days and then he calls the Jews, these Jewish leaders to, to come in, meet with him. And so since he was on house arrest, he, he couldn't go out to the synagogue as he normally would. So he asked them to come to the place where he's staying. And he wanted to meet with them because he wanted to explain what he was doing in Rome, why he had been charged, and, and really how all these accusations were, were false. Okay, and as he talked with them, if you look back, he, he emphasized the, the only reason that he was really in prison wearing these chains, chains is because of the hope of Israel. And what this means is he's, he's referring to Israel's like messianic expectation fulfilled in Jesus. And so what Paul is saying is that the only reason I am a prisoner right now is because I'm telling people the truth of Jesus and they don't like it. They don't want to hear it. And so the Jews, they, they hear this and they say they want to learn more about Paul's views. So they set up a, a second meeting and it says at an appointed time, an appointed day, they, they come back and they, they talk with Paul. And all day long, Paul is just like preaching the gospel. And while we don't have record of what he actually kind of said, we, we know two things that he concentrated on. If you look back, he says that he's explaining kind of like the coming of the, the kingdom of God. And then he tried to convince them of Jesus using the scriptures that these Jewish leaders that they knew, that they memorized, they loved, and they, they taught. And this is like a moment in Acts where, man, I was just like, I wish I just had like a manuscript or a recording of all that Paul said throughout that day. And but we, we don't, obviously, but I don't think it's hard for us to surmise what he might have said. I mean, especially since if you consider the very next book in the Bible is the, the book of Romans, which Paul just wrote about three years before this instance here to explain the gospel to the very community of people that he's talking to now in Rome. And so I think Paul would have begun speaking to them about our obligation to know God and to, to worship him. You know, to, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and while this would have totally re resonated with the, the Jews here because they knew the scriptures, right? And they, they knew this and they, they taught this. And so they would have been tracking with him at, at this point. But Paul would have also pointed out that we have all fallen short of God's standard. He would have explained that it's not about religion. It's not about like observance of, of laws or religious duties that we become good enough for God because there, there is no way that any single person can be good enough for God. And so as the Jewish leaders were, were hearing this, they, they would have been zealous, right? Very zealous for God. They're law-abiding Jews. And I can imagine that some of them, which we're gonna see here in just a minute, as they were listening to, this, them, listening to Paul, they were thinking to themselves, they would certainly have not said it out loud, but maybe thinking, I think that that's true. And I think the truth is, guys, we, we know this about all of our lives, that we, we know that, that we're not who we need to be, that there's things that are inside of every single one of us that are, that are broken and bad and sinful, 
And those things, they're not just like bad, but what they do is they, they create a barrier that the nature of sin that's in every single one of our lives, it, it separates, it creates a barrier between us and God. And Paul would have told them that no matter how good you think you are, that we're all sinners, that we're all sinful, that there's no one righteous before God. And this is what he says in Romans chapter three. And, and, and not even just in Romans chapter three, but as the, the Jews would have heard this, they would have thought back to places like Psalm 14 or Psalm 53, and they would have understood what Paul was saying. And it would have been going deep into their hearts and making them think. But Paul didn't just, he wouldn't have stopped there, right? He didn't want them to just sit in the pit of despair and to think poorly about themselves, but he would have gone on to talk about Jesus, the hope of Israel. And he would have shown them throughout the Old Testament as he looked at the law and the prophets, as it says, how Jesus fulfilled all that was written concerning the coming of the Messiah. And he would have said, all of us, me, you, every single person in the world, we're on a common playing field. Our common ground that we stand on is every single person in this world needs Jesus. We need the forgiveness of our sins so that we can belong to God. This is the gospel that Paul was preaching to them. Now, upon hearing all of this, verse 24, let's keep going. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through the Isaiah prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart in turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. And so as Paul proclaimed this truth of the gospel of Jesus, as we've seen throughout Acts, guys, some were persuaded to follow Jesus, some put their faith in Jesus, and some, regardless of Paul's logic and Paul's passion and even the Holy Spirit's urging in their life, some of them just rejected it. And guys, this is what we see over and over again throughout Acts, and this is what we even see in our world today, that the same fire that melts the wax hardens the clay. This is what we see. And this is what Paul is, is saying, that as people hear, some people are compelled to follow, some people will adamantly reject. And he quotes from Isaiah 6 here, where God spoke to Isaiah after he preached and, and people rejected everything that he said and wouldn't listen to him. And guys, I want you to know the truth is that this is still happening today. That people are and will continue to reject the Jesus who loves them, who died for them, who rose for them. And you know, as I was spending time in this this week, I, I had this thought. And I just wanted to like put it out to you and just have you like think about this for the sake of just like, engaging with this text. Because when you see this rejection of Jesus here in this text and all the way through Acts as we've been looking at it, as you see this, and even as you see this in your everyday stuff of life here in Madison, people rejecting Jesus, what is the feeling that you have? What do you feel? Like, is it apathy? Like almost like, oh, whatever. That's, I know this is kind of like my thing. It's not their thing. Whatever, I'll just go on to the next person. No big deal. This is kind of my view, whatever. Is it that? Is it anger? 
Like you see people reject Jesus and you think like, how could they do, like, what are they doing? And you kind of like take it personally and you're saying like, well, if they don't believe what I believe and they don't want to submit to the same thing that I'm submitting to, like, well, forget them. And I, I don't, and you're angry. Is that what you're feeling? What is the feeling for you when you see this rejection? Because as you think about that, let me tell you what you should feel. All right, not, not what you could feel, but really what you, you should be feeling. Because when we see the rejection of Jesus, the predominant feeling that we should all be feeling is just profound sadness. Because right, we, we know like this isn't like a game. This isn't just like another philosophy that we can kind of pick and choose from. It should bring profound sadness because we know that eternity is a long time, that heaven and hell are real places, and that all people are going there. And as we think about the rejection of Jesus, which is just like rejecting the forgiveness and the salvation of God, we understand what that means. It's eternity without God, and it should bring profound sadness because those are people that God loves, that God created. This is why Paul, like in places, like if you remember back to Ephesians chapter 20, when Paul is, is talking to the, the elders in Ephesus, he talks about this idea, how he served with tears as he thought about people being far from God. It brought tears to him. It was like this sadness because he knew that the gospel was the hope of the world, the hope of Israel. Because this is Jesus. This is the gospel that Paul preached. And he preached this with tears because he wanted people to know Jesus so bad. Now, I want you to watch how Luke ends the book of Acts. Verse 30. He's preaching the gospel. He lived there, it says, two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So Luke's conclusion of Acts, guys, it brings like a this book to like a climactic ending with kind of just like an abrupt stop. I mean, have you ever read like a book that ends the way Acts does? Because I just want you, it's just like, it's just like this weird ending. Like we're journeying all the way through this story and then all of a sudden it just is like, bam, it's over. And if you consider it, like it's been chiefly about the apostle Paul showing us like his ministry, his persecutions, his successes, his imprisonment. And then as it ends, you know, we're, we're kind of expecting to learn how it all turns out. But the story of Paul is just like abandoned. And all we read is he's there in Rome for two years. He's living in a house. People come to say hi to him. He says hi. He greets him. And then he tells him about Jesus boldly without hindrance. And it just ends. And here's what I'd suggest to you guys. This is not just like an ending that, that Luke just merely threw in without thought. You know, it wasn't like he's like writing and he's thinking like, okay, I'm on chapter 28, I can't go much longer because if we start to get to 29 and even 30, like people aren't going to want to read this. Like, you know, I got to make this short enough so they can read it while they're sitting on the toilet. Like, okay, that's just weird. Like he, he's not thinking like that. Okay. But Luke ends Acts exactly the way that he wanted his chronicle of history to end. Because I want you to hear this guys. No matter how fascinating we may find the histories of, of Peter and Philip and Paul and all of these other like strong personalities that dominate this book. The subject of Luke's narrative is not the lives of these people of God. But hear this, the subject of Luke's narrative 
is the gospel itself. That Luke is concerned with how the gospel grew and expanded. And when we get to the very ends of, end of Acts, we see this happening. That Christianity that began in Jerusalem with the commissioning of like a small group of people following Jesus has now spread to the ends of the earth and even reached the capital of the Roman Empire. And as Luke ends, he's leaving us exactly where the Holy Spirit wants us, ready for the next chapter, ready for the next chapter. And here's what you need to know, guys. This chapter continues to be written today. We're writing this chapter today. The gospel still advances to the ends of the earth and God has called his people to live as like protagonists in this glorious chapter that he's writing. And guys, with this understanding, this is why it doesn't really matter what happened to Paul, all right? Because what matters most is that we're faithful to this calling that God has on our lives. I mean, the, the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, listen to this, that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Doxa, the end has not yet come. And so you and I, we still have a mission before us. And Jesus died and Jesus rose and Jesus saved and Jesus empowered us to continue what he started. To take this gospel to the world just so people can meet Jesus. The question is, is will we? Will our church be like this church that we've been studying for the last nine months and say yes? This is really kind of a, the final question for us in Acts. And so we can't just like move on and kind of close this book and say, okay, I'm the James, we're, we're done, I get it now. Because in order for us to really answer this question, we need to understand what it looks like for us to say yes to this. And as we've been going through the narrative of Acts, there's been a couple things that have stood out to me that I really believe that God wants us to look at and God wants us to know as we walk out of Acts, writing the next chapter of Acts, Acts 29, this chapter that we're living in right now, three characteristics that Acts has shown us about who Jesus has saved us to be and how we live in this Acts 29 reality and the type of church that it takes to continue to write this story. And here's how you can remember the book of Acts. All right, I want you to write it down, three words. Write this down, upward, inward, outward. All right, this is how we can remember Acts, upward, inward, outward. And so I wanna quickly look at these. First, there's this upward characteristic of worship. Okay, so we have upward worship. This is what we need to remember. And when you think about the beginning of the church in, in Acts chapter two, we, we saw just a, a worshiping community of people that above all, this was their, their primary objective, to worship God. It wasn't anything else, it was, it was this, just to, to worship the God who saved them. Acts 2.42, it says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That an upward focus just permeated their lives. They were daily worshiping God together. And even for Paul, who wasn't even there in Acts chapter two, his life was dominated by just a, a profound focus on heaven. And then all the way through the Bible, this is what we see in how God created us to live as his people. 
that love and worship have always been the highest priority for God's people. I mean, for example, if we rewind the script back to like Deuteronomy chapter six and what we call the Shema, which is really just a summary statement for Israel, it says this, listen, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And Jesus himself like even emphasized this He testified to this primary point of life in his life in the gospels that we read, that for the Christian, you need to hear this, that worship is really as natural as breathing, or at least it should be. And when it comes to the end of Acts, in the next chapter that we're writing, Doc said, we just need to understand that worship needs to be the primary characteristics of an Acts 29 church that's continuing to write the next chapter. Even as I, I mention this, okay, I know that there's probably some of us that you're thinking, okay, yeah, I get that. I've been around the church a while. I've been a Christian for a while. I know worship is, is really important. I just want you to listen to this, okay? I, you know, I kind of had like the same thought process and then I came upon the writing of a, of a man named Kent Hughes and this just grabbed me. When I read this, it just like stopped me and it made me think. And I want you just to listen. This is what he says in terms of like our worship today. He said, the immense tragedy of the contemporary church is that most people worship their work, work at their play, and play at their worship. Listen to that. I'll read it again. Just think, is this true at all for you? The immense tragedy of the contemporary church is that most people worship their work, work at their play, and play at their worship. This is something that should cause us to at least like have some type of self-reflection of like, is this, is this true in my life? The, the theologian A.W. Tozer, he said it this way. He said, we have lost our spirit of worship and our ability to withdraw inwardly to meet God in adoring silence. Modern Christianity is simply not producing the kind of Christians who can appreciate or experience the life in the spirit The words be still and know that I am God mean next to nothing to the self-confident, bustling, hurrying worshiper today. And, and, And I know this isn't obviously true of everyone, but I think it carries a lot of truth for many of us. That in our fast paced way of life, the average Christian kind of seldom slows down slows down enough to even glance upward in worship, even when we're in church. I mean, maybe you feel that even now. You're sitting on your couch and it makes it even harder for you to glance upward. But for some of us, like the times when we, we come together and we pray, this is an opportunity for you just to kind of close your eyes and think about what you have to do for the rest of the day or your week coming up. Others of you, like, you know, we, we sing these songs and, and this is an opportunity as you hear these songs for you just to kind of unplug, slip it into neutral and just kind of coast rather than worshiping God. Even when it comes to, to preaching and listening to, to sermons, right? This is an opportunity not for you necessarily to worship God through hearing his word, but just a thing for you to endure so you can get past it. And I, and I say all this to, to say, like, not to like bum us all out and make us all feel bad. Like, that's not my, my heart. But to point to the truth, because if we're really seeking to be a church and an extension to the book of Acts, we need to fight and pay careful attention to our worship. And not just when we gather on Sundays, but when you're walking through the everyday stuff of life with God. 
And this hit me hard as we were journeying through this. In Acts chapter 1, do you remember that moment when the disciples were gathered in the upper room after Jesus died and resurrected and ascended into heaven? Do you remember what they did? They're kind of there in this upper room and they're like, okay, I don't know what's going on. Like, where's Jesus? Like, what do we do now? And rather than saying, okay, you know what? Let's just go back to work, make ourselves busy, time will pass. They stayed there. They stayed there together. And it says that for days, they were worshiping and praying together. And as a result, we know Acts chapter two comes right after they're praying and they're worshiping together. And the spirit falls on the day of Pentecost and everything changes. God does this miraculous thing and the world has never been the same. And even when you look at history, in the history of like great awakenings where people, many thousands of people are coming to faith in Jesus, guys, it's all predicated on prayer. You can trace back revival history and it starts with people worshiping and praying and crying out to God. This needs to be our posture. If we want to see God move, people need to have a focus upward in worship. True worship will ensure that the story of Acts continues to be written. And you know, even for me personally, like this, this landed on me because as I was listening to a podcast of of a guy that Lisa and I know, he's been a pastor for a couple decades and we knew him from back in Ohio and he just kind of on one of his podcasts, he said, yeah, I read the Bible cover to cover every month. And he was just like kind of flippantly said it. I was like, wait, what? And then he said like, yeah, over the last five years, I've read the Bible like 60 times. And I was just like, wait, what did you? And that just kind of made me stop and I haven't been able to, to shake it, okay? And, and, and I thought about like, okay, like I had this discipline of writing the Bible, but what did it look like for me to read the Bible that frequently and just be saturated with the word of God? And so I just started like with the primacy of, of worship. I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just try and saturate myself with God's word. And I don't have like, I'm not audacious enough to try and read the Bible every month, but, but I'm trying to read the Bible every two months, cover to cover. I'm gonna 20, I don't know, 17 to 20 chapters a day, just to see what God would do and how he would stir my affections. And I'm telling you this, not so you can think, oh my gosh, like Rob is intense and crazy and whole, like, wow, he's great. Like, no, you guys know me, like I'm not that great, okay? But I tell you this to say that I know that I, Rob Warren, I need discipline in my life to stir my affections, to make me worship God because I can so easily forget, and this is what I'm doing, what are you doing? The second thing, that marks an Acts 29 church is not just upward worship, but this inward characteristic of love. Inward love, love for one another. And this characteristic is, is, is seen throughout Acts from the very beginning, throughout really every chapter. But back to Acts chapter two, it said that they have fellowship and they devoted themselves to it. And this idea of fellowship is this idea of like, it denotes a kind of like caring and sharing and giving towards and for one another. And throughout all of Acts, we see this. Even with Paul, like as he traveled and he was collecting money for, for these poor churches in Jerusalem, they were loving each other, they were giving to one another. Acts 2.44 makes this beautifully clear, saying this, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all who had any need. This church, they, they loved one for one, they had love for one another. They worshiped God. They loved one another and they were socially, materially, emotionally, and spiritually just like involved in each other's lives. And guys, when this is true, because when the church is, is marked by that type of love, it begins to be what Jesus said it should be in Matthew chapter five when he says the church is a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. 
that when the love of God is being manifest through God's people in the church, the church really becomes a beacon of hope where the love of God can be seen and experienced in very real tangible ways through the interaction and relationships of people. This is what Jesus said in John 13, 35, right? He said, people will know you're my disciples by what? If you have love for one another. That if we truly have this type of love, it will allow us to like have the, the posture in the, in the means of like this early church and how it just kind of took the world by storm. Like it was so attractive that people were just drawn to this love. This is what the love of God does. I mean, I just saw this played out, like throughout this journey, I've, I've become friends with a guy that had a number of different friends and guys that he knew in Doxa, and he was going through some stuff, and we all kind of like met in different random ways, and as we were getting to know each other, and he was interacting with some of Doxa's people, some of Doxa's men, the family of God, like we had this time where he sat down, and he's like, why do you hang out with me? And he had some choice words, he's like, I think you're full of crap. <laughs> it's just like, I don't understand why you would love me like this, like what do you want from me? And I was like, man, you're not gonna understand why like, why like I, I love you unless you understand the love of God. It just doesn't make sense. You need to understand the love of God if you wanna understand my love. And God saved him because of the love that he experienced within God's people and all these different people that he had relationships with and all that he saw, this inward love. So upward worship, inward love. And finally, there's this outward characteristic of mission. Outward mission. And guys, we've talked about this so often through our study of Acts. And when we talk about God's mission, because we're, we're talking about Jesus and people, and we've said this over and over. I say this all the time, and I know some of you are getting so sick of it, but this is what we're about. Jesus and people, people meeting Jesus because Jesus loves people. And I'm not gonna stop saying it because this is part of the mark of an Acts 29 church that's continuing to write the story. It's Jesus' mission. This is what Jesus said in Acts chapter one, verse eight, when he told to go and be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. This is the mission of really just opening our mouth and taking the message of Jesus to the world around us. And this is so crucial, this is so critical, because what Paul says in Romans 10 is actually the reality that we live in. I want you just to listen to this. Paul says this in Romans 10. So if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. But listen to this. But here's how this happens. How, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. The truth is, God uses people to save people. We've seen this all the way throughout Acts. This is the outward mission. God saves people. If you wanna boil Christianity down, this is one way to do it. J.I. Packer says God saves sinners. God saves. This is the big idea of the Bible. This is the big idea here in Acts that, that God rescues us and saves us by the work of Jesus. And through faith, we not only receive this rescue and redemption and forgiveness, but we also receive the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to continue what Jesus started, seeing other people meet Jesus and experience this salvation as well. And Christian, I'll tell you this, this is what God has for your life. 
for you to be walking with him by faith, filled with the spirit and following his guidance in your everyday stuff of life to go to people so that they can receive what you have. The forgiveness of sin, the escape of death and hell and eternity with God. And so my question for you is this, is who's in front of you? As you go through the everyday stuff of life, who is God put in front of you? A family member, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, who's in front of you that you need to like put down your phone, you need to stop being so busy and running around doing all these different things that we do to make our lives busy. Who do we need to just see and start a conversation with and a relationship out of the love of God in us? And then pray that God would give us just an ability to open our mouth and share with them the message of Jesus which saved our lives. Guys, this is what largely Acts has been about, the mission of God to save people. And so this church in Acts was marked with upward worship, with inward love, and with outward mission. And this allowed them to faithfully carry out the charge that Acts was started with. In Acts 1-8, to go and be my witnesses to the ends of the world. And the truth is, Doxa, the baton has been passed to us from this church and from faithful Christians that have been living ever since. And we have this baton in our hand. The question though, is what are we gonna do with it? Are we gonna run faithfully? Are we gonna run hard? What are we gonna do with this baton? Because we face an unfinished task that will not be completed by scholars, only soldiers. We can't be a church family that's filled with scholars who learn a bunch of things, a bunch of great theological truth for the sake of information, right? We can't be the Christians that, that come here and we take a ton of notes and you sit in connection group, someone says something profound and you go, hmm, so good. And then we close our journal, we close our Bible, we walk out and we do nothing with it. We cannot be that type of person. There's a mission before us. People won't meet Jesus that way. We need to be soldiers who are learning for the sake of mission. And my prayer is that God would grant us the posture of worship in love and mission with the courage and the strength to continue what Jesus started. This is Acts, Doxa. Let's keep writing the story. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this journey. Thank you for all that you've, you've taught us throughout this study. God, would you help us not to ju just be scholars that would learn for the sake of information but let us take this information, this historical truth, like these theological implications that we've been learning and let us embrace them like soldiers to go out with a mission to join you in the redemption of the world for the people that you love. God, help us to just worship you with all that we are. Even now, Holy Spirit, would you just stir our affections, give us the rhythms and the disciplines in our life that would keep us worshiping you and that being our primary focus. And as we worship you, would this just cause us to like love one another so well 
that people would look at this church and be like, they're followers of the living God. And would that love just be so attractive as it was for me that I was pulled in and drawn into your family and came to know Jesus? Would this be our story? And would be, be a group of people that would just not just sit around and learn and talk about all these biblical truths and these spiritual implications, but would we be people compelled by love to go on mission with you for the sake of the world, for those that you love. So even highlight to us in our, in our minds right now, there's like a person that you might have put in front of us that we just need to go and love and tell them about Jesus. God, I thank you for Andy in my life that he did this for me and that you used just a broken, messed up dude who loved you and had love in his heart for me that he just told me about you and how that changed my life forever. God, would we hear more and more stories like that? Help us to be this, this church that writes the next story and keeps it going. In Jesus' name, amen. So guys, I wanna invite you to just even stand up. We're gonna close in worship. And this is an opportunity as we stand up, like we're saying, like I'm not just gonna sit around passively. I'm gonna engage with what we're singing. I want you to think about these words. I want you to look upward towards heaven and just thank God for all that he's done through the message and the saving grace of Jesus. And we as a church scattered all around our city are gonna look upward where it all starts and praise God and worship him. So let's do that together.